0: So there's, there's two elements to our uh, discussion this morning. Um, one, one is about parables. It's trying to put parables, parables into some kind of context um, as a, a kind of general principle. And I, in my research, I, I kind of learned something, that a perspective that I hadn't necessarily appreciated before. So we'll, we'll come to that. And then we'll have a a reflection, a little reflection, on the specific parables that we'll read and see what there is for us from them. So let's go to Luke 8, verse 4. Incidentally, look out for my subtitle, which is taken from the reading. And the subtitle is uh, Parables and Their Purpose. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been revealed to you. That's our subtitle. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow sow his seed and he was scattering it. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. His disciples asked him, What is this? His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are those who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar, or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand, so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. So what is the purpose of parables? Now, I have a a rehearsed definition of a parable that I've been rehearsing for 50 odd years. It's what I was taught when I was um, a little lad and it's a, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Um, I also would have said that a parable perhaps sometimes is told to make the message easier, to simplify it. Uh, maybe to illustrate it. I was trying to think of a parable which its primary purpose was to illustrate um, a point in a very powerful way. And the one that came to mind straight away was the message that the prophet Nathan had for David after he'd sinned. And remember, he told that story of a man who had a lamb that was taken from him by a wealthy man and the lamb was slaughtered to feed the wealthy man's visitor. And you remember the reaction that King David had. This is an outrage and he was furious and said, You know, this man needs to be dealt with, it's just not acceptable. And of course he was stopped in his tracks by Nathan when Nathan said, you are the man and all of a sudden you can imagine it it clicking, you know, this story that he'd um, engaged with. Um, Suddenly uh, he saw the reality of the message behind it and was um, kind of smitten with guilt as a consequence. Very powerful thing. Um, sometimes parables are very cryptic, and by that I mean they're told in terms that feel more like a riddle than something simpler. So uh, I think there is a sense, and we read about it from time to time in the Lord's parables, that um, the disciples were frustrated. They said, well, just, just say it in plain words. We, we, we get frustrated with these riddles. So sometimes parables are intentionally cryptic. Maybe a parable can add emphasis. Maybe it can add relevance. We have um, maybe a principle. And by telling a real human story, it becomes more relevant to make it more memorable. I think um, that's one of the ways of improving our memory is to somehow add detail to what it is we 're trying to remember we 've got senses and we can imagine touch and smell and things when we 're told a story, and that helps us to recall the perceptions about parables, and I have to say that my instinct was to consider the lord 's parables as a generally a positive thing, and it 's a method of communication that he chose to for the most part, simplify things. But I, after my research, I think I've come to a slightly different conclusion. And I would define the purpose in two ways. Here we go. The purpose of a parable. To conceal truth from those refusing to acknowledge it. Say it again. To conceal truth from those refusing to acknowledge it. And that is a nod to the cryptic side of parables and the riddle aspect of it. And then the second is to reveal truth. So, one is to conceal truth. The second is to reveal truth to those with a discerning spirit. And we might want to give spirit a capital S for Christians because we have the Holy Spirit who is there to help us discern truth. So, the purpose of parable. Uh, is to conceal truth from those who refuse to acknowledge it and to reveal truth to those with a discerning spirit. <clears throat> One of the commentators that I was um, looking up uh, for views on this, done, he'd obviously done more research than I had time to, to do, but his conviction was that there are 40 distinct parables that the Lord told and that they came... Uh, fairly uh, far into his three-year public ministry. (coughs) The view would be towards the end of the second year of his ministry. Excuse me. (coughs) It was as though the Lord got to a point in his ministry where he, um, obviously, accompanied by miracles um, and for the most part would talk in very plain terms And then he gets to a point where he seems to switch and to move to to parables. And um, I think the the message for us today is to, if that's the case, and it does seem to be the case, um, although if you read Mark, parables seem to start fairly early in Mark's gospel. But I, I think it's one of those things where we have to look at the three gospels that record the parables, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke and um, read them together to get a sense of whether there was a time at which the lord moved from direct language to more speaking in parables and my sense is that it is probably accurate that it was um, halfway through his ministry so we would ask ourselves the question why would he do that and i'd like us to go to Matthew 13, which is a parallel scripture to the one that we've read, also the parable of the sower. And we won't read it all, but we'll read um, some of the content, which is complementary to Luke's um, narrative on the same time. It's great. I've said this before. It's great when you, you have multiple perspectives on the same event and you read them together and you get a much richer picture. And that's, of course, the purpose of the Synoptic Gospels for for the most part. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. Verse 9. He said, He who has ears, ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? That's a kind of nod, isn't it? To the, You get a sense of surprise in this, that he suddenly had started to speak this way and it wasn't necessarily uh, completely obvious what the message was. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but not perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then, to what the parable of the sower means. In Matthew's account, you get a a more fuller indication of the dialogue that the parable of the sower prompted in the hearts and attitudes of the Lord's disciples. And you have this sense, why, why are you speaking in this way? We're used to hearing you in plain terms. And then the Lord quotes from Isaiah 6. Now, Isaiah 6 is a very familiar passage. and I think it's worth us going to it. And it's one of those things that um, I was talking with Aero in recent days about whether we should take verses out of context, whether it's a legitimate thing to do that and apply them, or whether um, they always need to be seen in context. And I think the conclusion we come to is both. Uh, There are many times when the Lord can speak to us by just giving us a word and it's living and it's active and it's completely appropriate to to, uh, take it out of context and apply it to our situation. But we can't build doctrine on that. We have to look at verses in in context and we're all very familiar, I think, with Isaiah 6, but let's look at the context because I I think it, it sheds some light on why the Lord quoted from it in, um, in his explanation as to why he used parables. Let's go to, actually, chapter 5 of Isaiah to get some context. Uh, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop, for good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. What then follows in the balance of chapter five, which is quite a lot, is about God's judgment on um, his people. And what, a, what a, a beautiful opening to Isaiah five. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. And he describes, he defines who this vineyard is. And this is the Old Testament uh, people of God. And he, they are his delight. <laughs> And he's chosen them and he's made them separate from um, all other people, all other nations. And he's given them a special relationship, a special place, and they've rejected him. And so the vineyard, the parable of the vineyard is about how it gets destroyed, at least temporarily. So chapter five is about judgment. Then we go to chapter six, which is the more familiar one. Verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. This is Isaiah, seeing the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me He said, Go and tell this people. And here's our quotation Be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see and their eyes hear, and and they might hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, And turned to be healed. Then I said, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as for the terebinth and the oak leaves stumps, they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. The context of Isaiah 6, and we often focus on his vision of, of the Lord, which is entirely appropriate, but it's, it's a vision that he sees in the midst of a prophecy about um, how the Lord will abandon his people because of the abandoning of him and their sinfulness and then um he's wanting a preacher someone who will go and deliver this message and it's not a popular message it's a message that they're going to reject and um isaiah says well here am i send me and he's he's been conditioned for the mission um, and his uh, his comment is well if that's the message i'm going to deliver how long how long have i got to go through that And it's until God's um, plan is fulfilled. This is the verse that the Lord is quoting in his response to the disciples' question. Why are you speaking in this confusing way? And I think the conclusion is the Lord, at least for some part, is making judgment on the people in the audience. And it's as though he'd lived with them for maybe 18 months in his public ministry, and he'd spoken to them in plain language, and they refused. Um, Interestingly, in our own study in in Luke, you had him uh, a few days earlier in the house of Simon the Pharisee, who was out really to catch Jesus out. And we never really hear what, what happened to Simon thereafter. But he was somehow surrounded by people who should have known better, people who should have been looking out for him, looking for him in the Old Testament scriptures and seeing them being fulfilled. And they were rejecting him. Worst case is Matthew 12, preceding Matthew's account of the parable of the sower. And that's where they accused him of casting out demons by the prince of demons and the Lord described that as a sin against the Holy Spirit, and that was unforgivable. So we get to a point in Jesus' ministry, it seems, when his message, his plain speaking, was no longer um, going to be accessible to those who had rejected it. And, and then, therefore, he takes on this new communication method, which is, for the most part, um, hiding... Concealed truth and making it more difficult. You know, that's perhaps new to you, uh, something for us to reflect on. I I don't think it means that all parables are confusing and therefore have no value for us to study them. Of course not. It's a different method of communication. And the disciples had it on their heart tell us what these parables mean, and then he explains it. And where there is a parable and an explanation, then uh, of course it all starts to make sense. But the point of our message here, we go back to our subtitle from verse 10 of Luke 8, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. This is the Lord to his, the narrowest part of his disciples. And it reminds me of that time when um, the Lord asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they rattled off a whole list, you know, some say you're John the Baptist some one of the prophets. And the Lord said, but who do you say I am? And Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' response to him was that, you know, you haven't worked that out. That's not been revealed to you by flesh and blood. That's not something you've cleverly worked out and, you know, through some kind of study come to the conclusion. It's been revealed to you by my Father. And isn't that an amazing truth about... Um the Christian message is that it's not something by intellectual exercise we work out. It's something that is given to us by divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. I'll read the verse ten again. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. if you um if we go to chapter ten we'll we'll get to Luke ten at some point you get to a real high point in Jesus' ministry. And he, he is praising God. In fact, he says, I, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And it's almost the opposite to this wringing um, his hands in frustration that people weren't receiving in his, his message. He's, he's praising God because his message is being received in, in all of its simplicity by his disciples. What's the challenge for us in in this point about the purpose of parables, and I go back to um, my definition again, two almost contradictory purposes, to conceal truth from those refusing to acknowledge it and to reveal truth to those with a discerning spirit. You get a very powerful sense that people who are exposed to the truth and reject it um are doing something which is um very very serious from God's point of view even even to the point where time for those people will will run out and um you know we we i think in our faith and in our christian journey need to be sensitive to the impact that God's word has on us and we thank him for the revelation that we've received through the Holy Spirit. He's done his job in convicting us of, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's what happened to us when we became aware of our need for salvation and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I would say that it needs to be an ongoing experience and while our eternal salvation is secure, and that cannot be undone, uh, it's unconditional, our Christian lives can be destroyed if we, as it were, turn a blind eye to the truth that God is revealing to us. And this takes us into the point of the, the parable of the sower. Just a few comments, um, one, one word or one sentence which um, jumps out of that parable to me is uh, verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. It's almost as though that the Lord could have got away with just saying that. Um, you know, understand the seed is the word of God and then let your imagination work out the rest. He didn't do that. He went and and explained it. But um, We've just been doing some stuff in the garden and um, a whole strip of grass was taken away um, unwittingly and needed to be replaced, but it was kind of destroyed. So probably three or four months ago, we sowed some grass seed and you can hardly discern what was established lawn and what is now the grown seed. It's it's amazing. And that seed that we sowed is, is living, it's the life. And I think we ought to have that perspective on the Word of God. You know, when we're talking, whether it be giving ministry or whether we're just, you know, sharing things amongst ourselves or trying to witness, we can use all kinds of words. But the seed is the Word of God. The origin of life is the Word of God. And whatever we say um, isn't. (laughs) So for me, a key lesson here is whatever we do, in whatever way we're communicating, if this is to each other, to people we're trying to witness to, even our worship to God, we need to have it firmly based on his word because that's where life, where the life is. It's the living and active word of God and it has its application uh, in so many ways. In fact, in, in every aspect of our life, course we need to reflect on on soil and what kind of soil are we and again our little illustration in our in our strip of in the garden there was a a bit you know if it's 20 foot long then there's about three or four foot at the end which is just gravel and we didn't put any topsoil and actually the the uh, the seed is taken but you can see it's just not as healthy it's not as dense as, as elsewhere it's just a it's the Lord's own <laughs> illustration. You can see where the good soil was, the receptive soil that enables the, the seed to, to go deep and the, one, the, the areas that are all clogged up with bits of rubbish and, and stuff. And the same applies to our own selves. What kind of quality of material are we for the living, life-giving Word of God? And of course, the measure is the degree to which fruit is yielded from what's been sown a hundred times more Um, can we somehow quantify the yield that the lord gets from his word his powerful word in our lives something to think about Um, verse 18 and it comes at the end of the second parable which we'll just look at Um, briefly but verse 18 um, is a powerful word in fact this nearly became our subtitle it's therefore consider carefully how you listen I think um, the quality of our listening is a measure of how much we appreciate the Lord and his love for us how much reverence we have for his word how By faith convinced we are that the word is the source of our Christian lives and therefore we need to immerse ourselves in it. Therefore consider how carefully you listen. I think the Lord spoke in parables because um, he uses this repeated phrase and you get it um, also in Revelation. That's interesting in the letters to the church. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What a strange thing to say. And it's about the quality of our listening. And, you know, you, you, can, you can hear things without listening, can't you, the, the kind of noise, um, or you can listen and take it in. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Just some a few comments on, on the parable of the sower, hopefully supporting um, the purpose of the parables. And this is the Lord um, explaining the parable to his disciples who were really keen to understand, and presumably those who had deaf ears who were there and heard it, they didn't come and ask for an explanation and therefore didn't see the benefit of it. But we need to go to um, the last part of our reading, which is a second parable. Um, I'll just read it again from verse 16. And this is not to be confused with a very similar parable in Matthew chapter 5 because I think the message, the the parable's slightly different and the message is very different. Um, And bear in mind the context again, really important. So he's told the parable of the sower. He's explained why he's now speaking in parables. He's given them the explanation because they asked for it. And straight after that, he goes on to say, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Matthew 5 talks about you know, us having a lamp and hiding it under a bushel and you should, shouldn't hide your lamp under a bushel because you want to show people your good works so that people can praise God. This is not about us. This is about an illumination of God's word and it's in the context of um, the Lord illuminating his message by explaining the parable to his disciples. And he's saying, when you have this light, then you use it. You don't hide it. And um, perhaps, again, it's a nod to those who weren't interested in what the parable meant. Um, they weren't interested to be enlightened by what the Lord said. reminds me of a verse, and, I, and I, um, a psalm, and I go back to this psalm very regularly. So I, I don't know how well it appeals to you, but... Um, I think the last few ministries I've done have all had a reference to Psalm 19. First half of Psalm 19 is God communicating through his creation. The second half is communicating through his word. And it says the commands verse, um, I didn't write down the verse, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And we've said the seed is the word of God, the source of life. The commands of the Lord are the word of God, and they're radiant, giving light to the eyes. I think the Lord's second parable is talking, still talking about God's word, and it's illumination of God communicating things to us. It's um, uh, a mystery. I've been thinking a little bit about mysteries and what is a mystery in, in Bible terms? And I think a mystery is where truth is concealed. It's something that um, is not obvious. And then um, truth revealed when, when we start to understand it. You have a wonderful example of it in First Timothy 3 and 16, it's a 3 and 16 verse, and that's the mystery of godliness is great. And it goes to describe the Lord Jesus, he appeared in a body Etc., and um, it's a his his very life, his birth, his living, his relationship with God, all the things that he does he did, um, are an example of what hitherto had been hidden, as concealed, now being revealed, and that's what God's enlightening work does. It illuminates things, truths which had hitherto been concealed and they become uh, revealed. We need to not cover up the illuminating, the power of the illuminating Word of God. Curious thing, hide it under a bed, um, put it out of the way. But we need to use it so that our um, eyes can be enlightened, giving light to the eyes, giving a sense of God's will, his presence, his direction. And of course, it's ours to respond to what God has revealed to us. And um, we've read on a couple of occasions in these two accounts that the Lord is saying, you know, um, be careful, those of you who have had these revelations, because we're accountable in terms of what we do with them. And... I think that's a a really important point. It it also takes us back to the quality of the soil question in the parable of the sower, that if we are receiving God's word and enabling its um, life-giving power to have its mark in our lives, then we we will be fruitful. And we need to celebrate the privilege of that divine revelation. That's what Peter did. Um, through all of his life, um, I was also reflecting on that verse he wrote. He said, We didn't involve, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power of his coming. This is in his letter. And he, he said, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And you have a sense that, that Peter, throughout his life, celebrated the divine revelation that he had known not just about the identity of the Lord Jesus, which is what he referred to in that statement, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, but also throughout his life as an elder in in the church of God, um, he became a light illuminating um, Christ's teaching uh, to those under his care. I'd like to finish with a, a quick reading from Colossians chapter 1. There's no comment on this. It's just highly relevant. And it's, uh, of course, the Apostle Paul to disciples in the church of God in Colossae. And we'll look at verse 24 of chapter 1. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become a servant, its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have, a, have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they might know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may, be decei- may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Paul's aspiration for those under his cur in relation to understanding uh, the word of God, and its teaching. Shall we pray?